0: There's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me, Three Steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started.
1: Mommy, how long will you be? Mommy, when are you coming out? And then if I, you know, if I could get them to stop asking questions, the three of them would sit and I would have six little toes under the door.
0: Today, my sister-in-law, Murray Whitmer, is joining me virtually in my studio. Now, Murray and I have been sisters-in-law for over 30 years, so we have lots and lots of shared history and stories for you today. Over those years, I've seen Murray try her hand at a whole bunch of different crafty endeavors, from knitting and crocheting to making toothbrush rugs. And yes, really, that is a thing, and no, you don't actually use your toothbrush, don't worry. And more recently, she is into beekeeping and soap making. So we've got lots of goodies to share with you today. Stay tuned. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will Half of The Will and Dave Show,
1: a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now back to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there.
0: One of the most common challenges that we quilters face, whether we're working on a long arm machine or on a domestic machine is bulky seam allowances. So wherever a number of seams come together at a point or cross over each other, you can get a lot of layers of fabric forming a very bulky area. And what happens is if you quilt if you avoid quilting on that area and you quilt say a half an inch away where you've quilted the quilt will be super flat and thin and conversely it will cause that bulky seam allowance area that's nearby but not quilted over to really puff up and in the finished quilt that's what's going to draw your eye it's going to be really noticeable and eye-catching so much better then to do your quilting right over that bulky area or at least very close to it like an eighth of an inch away. It will help that bulky area to compress and lay flatter resulting in a much more flat appearance in your finished quilt. If you're interested in supporting this podcast go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me get a better microphone and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thank you so much for your support. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Welcome, Murray, into my virtual studio. So happy to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. This is going to be great.
0: It is. And we have a lot of years of crafting history behind us, so we'll have some good stories today. I know we will. But actually, I'd like to start not so much with the crafting end of things as some of our personal history, I guess. When I first came into your family, your children were small, and you were kind of neck deep in homeschooling them. And that was so fascinating to me and was very influential, actually, in our decision a few years later to homeschool our own kids for about 15 years. So just give us a few sentence picture of what home life was like for you. And you might play into that whether or not you ever found time for crafting
1: in those crazy early years. Oh, well, home life was just busy. You know, you started first thing in the morning and you just went all day. And yes, I absolutely fit crafting in. But I fit it in after everyone went to bed and I would sit and do crafts late into the night or early into the morning because sometimes that was my outlet to just have something creative that I could do. Um, But I did not, my children did not even know that I knew how to knit until my oldest daughter was 17. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes, because I could not do it with them all awake. It was too distracting and there was just too much to do with them. So, they did not even know that I knew how to do that. That's funny.
0: Okay, so you've got to tell one funny story about when your children were very small. Your oldest three were very close in age. And I know you used to try and take a long soak in the tub to get quiet time.
1: How did that work out for you? It never worked. There was never a time when it worked because I would have knock, 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 knock on the door. Mommy, I need such and such. Mommy, how long will you be? Mommy, when are you coming out? And then if I, you know, if I could get them to stop asking the questions, the three of them would sit and I would have six little toes under the door, and they would just sit right outside the door. So sometimes it was just impossible. And then other times I would just close the curtain and tell them to sit on the edge of the tub while I was on the other side of the curtain having my, my soak in the tub. And that was about the only way because then we would have conversation through the curtain. And they were okay with that.
0: So funny. And you know, you just got to do what you got to do when you're a young mom, right? To preserve your sanity. That's right. You absolutely do. (laughs) Okay, so fast forward a few more years, and you and I both just share a love for all things crafty and creative. So what were some of your favorites over the years that you keep going back to?
1: Well, knitting is my go-to. Knitting is the thing that I do all the time. I always have several knitting projects on the go. Like right now I'm knitting a uh, tank top for my oldest daughter. I am making dish cloths and I am working on scrubbies, which I've never done before. And I'm finding that to be very interesting. I also have several pairs of socks on the go. Um, and I change from project to project because I am a crafty person. I have decided that we cannot say that we do not focus We just need change of focus. So I get bored very easily. And so I find that I have to go on to a different craft. If I get bored with one, I just switch to the other. And that's why I keep several going because then it keeps me interested. And I always get them done. It just takes me a little bit of time to get them done. But I would say that knitting is my go-to. My latest form of crafting, though, has been soap and lotions and uh, that sort of thing.
0: And I can speak from experience. Your lotions in particular are a wonderful thing. I love them. Yeah, they're fun to do. You should all have a sister-in-law that makes handmade lotions that they just smell <laughs> so delicious. You could almost eat them. So what what does that process look like? I know absolutely nothing about soap making. So if you don't
1: mind, give me a, a little rundown on the mysteries involved well, in making your own soap. I would say that the biggest mystery and the thing that scares most people is working with lye. People are very concerned because it's a caustic chemical. And it was the thing that scared me off of soap making for quite a while because I was afraid of lye. And because of the myth that homemade soap is very harsh on your skin. Um, And that is because the old recipes did not have the proper lye calculators to calculate the amount they were using. So it was harsh on the skin. But now because of new technology, things that we have learned, we know exactly how to calculate the lye to make a very gentle soap. And so now I'm no longer afraid of it. But the process would really be just getting, formulating my recipe according to what I'm using. And then once I formulated it, getting all my butters and oils and everything ready and mixing it with my lye. And the creative part of it is that I can create any design I want, and then I can just figure it out as I go and I can make these beautiful designs. And that is the part where my creativity comes into it. And I find it such a creative craft because you can change up the way you're doing it. You can change your colors. My granddaughter makes them and she designs her own. And then we work with her design and we create what it is she wants. It's beautiful. It's a fun craft to do. It really, really is. So circling back briefly to the homeschooling
0: topic What do you now do with homeschooling?
1: (laughs) I homeschool nine children at the moment. Um, I have five of my own grandchildren, and then I have four other students that are from the local area. Um, And I homeschool them in all their subjects. And I have from grades four to grade nine. And it's a fantastic part of my day. I love what I do. I love greeting those little people in the morning. I love those happy sounds in my house all day it, it's wonderful, and again, I can I can
0: speak from knowing these kids because they're my own nieces and nephews and mm-hmm. grand nieces and nephews. Um, the experience for them is absolutely rich. I just can't, I can't overemphasize how wonderful of an education you're giving them, and just the wealth of. Um, practical knowledge that you give them. So you talk about making soap with your granddaughter. I know that you garden quite a lot. I know that you have Mm -hmm. bees in your
1: backyard. So are those projects part of your homeschooling too? They are. Um, I have one grandson in particular who really loves bees. So we have actually purchased him his own hive this year. Up until now, he has just come to be with me when I do mine. And he's been there when we do the extraction of honey and He's not afraid of them in any way, so now we have bought him his own hive, which will be in his backyard, and he will begin the process on his own, which is going to be really, really fun for him. Um, But yes, I do all of these crafts with the children, and every year we will do gardening, but then we also, in the fall, when school begins, I begin every year with a different process of preserving food. So we've done drying food, we've done freezing food, we've done canning food, um, we've done all the processes of preserving food, um, at the beginning of the year. And last year, because we had done so many, I thought, well, we'll change it up a little bit. And we did milk and we were able to make cheese and we made yogurt and we made ice cream. And they learned about all the products that are made from milk and they actually made them on their own. And they really love these processes.
0: So a couple of Christmases ago, all our kids were home and I say kids, you know, they're all in there. 20s at that point and you know kids and kids in law so we're all sitting in the living room watching a movie at one point and they're talking about making butter and i have the butter churn from my childhood it's like a 1 gallon size mm-hmm. with the paddle you know the handle that you crank and the paddle turns and you make butter and none of them had ever done that. So they were mystified by this process. So I went and got some cream. And while we watched the movie, we're passing the butter churn from hand to hand to hand, right? And they're sitting there kind of lackadaisically turning the little handle, and I'm cheering them on. I'm like, kids, you've got to crank the handle if you ever want to see butter. Anyway, it was amusing to see them because I grew up on a farm. So that was part of my daily life. But you forget that kids nowadays just think, Butter comes off a store shelf, you know, and it was just fun to see them, their eyes be open to that whole process. So, yes, honestly, your grandkids are so, so
1: lucky. I wish I could be one of them. Can I do that? Sure, absolutely. (laughs) I've had a lot of adults say that one year we did wool because, again, they don't know where fabric comes from and they don't understand the process from sheep to fabric and textile. And so I actually took them all out to a farm and we watched them shear the sheep. And then we, they gave us some wool and we brought it home and we washed it and we laid it all out. And then I had a woman who does spinning come and she gave them each a drop spindle and she showed them how to create using the carters, how to create the little roll to make their own. And then she was teaching them how to spin with their drop spindles. These processes, children today, they really don't get to see that from the animal to the textile, and this way they get a chance to experience it. It's fun. And the thing is,
0: few of these kids will actually necessarily grow up and do these things, but it's a way of introducing them, and I don't think you should discount the fact that perhaps one of them will find their creative passion in one of these um, projects, Mm -hmm. or at least the wonder and the sense that this is what's behind the making of artisanal things. Yes. And then to go on and explore their own. Yeah.
1: So, so fun. Mm -hmm. So let's see,
0: what are you getting into this summer? Especially, do you have
1: any new projects Uh, on the go? Well, no, pretty much just my soap this summer. That is my plan for the summer. I have, um, I've been doing a few different things this year. Uh, I gathered cottonwood buds this spring And I did an infused cottonwood oil, which is where the Balm of Gilead comes from. And I was not aware of that. And so I thought, once I became aware of it, I thought, you know, I know that this is a healthy thing. And I would like to add it into my repertoire. So um, I actually made a Balm of Gilead soap using this oil. And I also made Balm of Gilead salve. So those are some of the things I'm into the children and I have just been out gathering dandelion heads and it's great fun. It's like a treasure hunt. They all go out and I give them scissors and they cut off these dandelion heads and it's wonderful. And I bring them in and we just dried them. And I now have that infusing an oil to be making soaps from dandelion oil. And I just got done making dandelion lotion bars, um, And so, you know, that's probably what my summer is. I'm looking at this week going out to gather plantain. Um, My daughter's fields are full of plantain, which is a wonderful herb. And so I'm going to go out and gather plantain and make another infused oil and make some soap with that. And my goal is to have some really natural soaps that I have created this year from the herbs that are locally gathered here.
0: So question for you, because I'm curious. Is there anything medicinal? Is there any redeeming quality about a dandelion? Like, come on.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. They have many, many good qualities. And though I'm not allowed to advertise them because of the Cosmetics Guild, you're not allowed to advertise them as medicinal. They do have many, many good qualities that they will do for your skin and the minerals that they put on your skin. And they're very healing. Yes. Interesting. Well, you
0: know, maybe I'll look at the next dandelion with a little bit of an open eye of appreciation, maybe.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) And their green makes a beautiful color in your soap. You get a beautiful green color. So I gather the dandelion greens every year, and I dry those, and I put them through a coffee grinder. And then I, again, infuse it in oil, but it creates this beautiful green, and I can use that in my soap as a color.
0: Who knew? I have a whole new appreciation for dandelions.
1: Yeah. It's
0: great. <laughs> so Marie, do you offer your soaps and lotions and things for sale yet? I know that you have a little sticker that you put on them, but do you offer do you have an Etsy shop or anything like that?
1: I do not yet. I am working with someone right now to create a website and we are getting started on that and I'm hoping to have it up and running by the fall. Um, but it's taking me some time. The only place that I really go for sales right now are like garden markets and that sort of thing. Um, I'm going to do some pop-up markets here locally this summer, and we have a coffee shop that we own across the road, and I'm going to do a few pop-up markets there, but actually online I do not yet, but hopefully by fall.
0: So I don't think I said earlier on in the show that actually... Murray's in Canada, listeners, and I'm in the U.S. So this is the only way we get to craft together is, you know, virtually. So we miss it because over the years, we've done a lot of projects one way and another. Well,
1: and we do them together because I made five quilt tops that I then sent to Susan and she quilted them all for me. And they are the most beautiful quilts. And I just cannot say how exquisite the quilting was that was done. And they were each unique because they were for my children. And Susan was amazing. Your intuition in how to quilt them and the designs you put on them were amazing. Okay, so that's a good story. We have to talk about those quilts just a
0: little bit. Your family lived in Australia for a period of time. Do you want to talk
1: about that and how that came around years later to making these quilts? Well, we went to Australia when my children were quite young and we had wanted to spend a year there. We had friends that lived there And we had decided we would go and we felt it would be a good experience for our children to be in a different country, um, but where it was not a huge cultural shock because they still spoke English and, you know, it would just be a really good experience for them. So we lived there for five months, actually, and then we were not able to stay the full year um, due to family medical reasons. We needed to come home. and But while we were there, um, in Australia, they still sold their flour in flour sacks, and so we would go to mills, and they would just throw their flour bags away. And I was able to accumulate a whole bunch of these beautiful cotton flour sacks with Australian sayings on them, and they would have pictures on them, and they were beautiful. And I brought them home, and I put them in a container, washed them, ironed them, put them away. And I had them for 24 years. They sat in containers. I am not necessarily proud to say that, but they were there for 24 years. And it's not that I did not think about them. Occasionally, I would think, oh, I'll make, you know, shorts and tank tops for my little girls out of these. Well, I never did. And 24 years later, I found these, these bags when we were moving. And I thought, you know what? I need to do something with them. But again, I put them aside. And we made another trip to visit our friends in Australia. And while I was there, I went and I bought tea towels. And anywhere we would go where I could find cotton tea towels with beautiful print on them of some kind, whether it was a map of Australia or an animal of Australia, I thought, I'm going to take these home and I'll use these with the flower sacks and I can make quilt tops. So I came home. And that was my plan. And I have a friend who lives right next door to me. And she's a wonderful quilter. Her name is Pauline Lindley. And she makes beautiful quilts. And I went to her and I said, could you help me to make these quilt tops? This is what I want to do. And she said, you know, Murray, I have some some authentic Australian fabric that I've never used. She said, I've had it for nine years. She said, let's use this with your flower sacks and these tea towels and make some authentically Australian quilt tops. And so she helped me and we made five beautiful quilt tops, absolutely wonderful. And they are so very authentically Australian. And so I took those quilt tops, sent them to you, and you put the backings on and, and quilted them and did all the rest of that. And oh my goodness, they turned out amazing. It was worth 24
0: years, I think. I I agree with you. They're so utterly unique because of the fabrics that went into them. And just because of the story. And I know your kids appreciate them greatly. Because mm-hmm. for each of them, it holds all these memories of their childhood. Yes. So how fun and it how does. special. Yes. That's what every quilt should be. You know, a memory wrapped mm-hmm. up in fabric. I agree. Well, this has been great fun, Murray, chatting. Oh my goodness, we could go on forever, but we'll, we'll spare our poor listeners that. But thanks so much for joining me today, and we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely, I'd love to. And thank you for tuning into the show. For information on classes I offer or quilting services, please see my website, stitchedbysusan.com. If you're a long-arm quilter and looking for freehand tips, take advantage of the live and unscripted episodes on my Facebook page, Stitched by Susan. Replays are also available on my YouTube channel, also stitched by Susan. And if pictures are your preference, check out my Pinterest galleries of edge-to-edge and custom quilting projects. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.